Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 520 of the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is Linux in the Hamshack and this is our short topics episode. So welcome, welcome, welcome one and all to this particular short topics episode. And I guess we should just go ahead and dive right in as has been the case for, oh, lots of months of House renovation. Cheryl W5MOO cannot join us again, but hopefully soon enough. Uh, but the two of us are here. I'm Russ K5TUX. And I'm Bill NE4RD. All right. Well, Bill is hot off a fundraiser for his theater community. So, uh, theater community, community theater. Yeah. <laughs> well, community theater is. I a guess it's the same. Community. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> thanks for correcting me when no correction was needed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess Bill's a little punch drunk because he's up past his bedtime now since we're <laughs> recording a little bit late. Uh, and maybe just a little bit drunk drunk. I don't know. It, well, there... you know, only fundraiser drunk. Come on, you know. It's, uh, you know, you got to grease the wheels a little bit in the fundraising community. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's trying times these days of uh, getting people to open their wallets. So, uh, yeah, it does take a little bit of lubrication to uh, get things going, but uh, yeah, it was a great event. It was it was a lot of fun. All right, well, very good. Well, since you're in the mood to to talk and sell stuff, I guess we can uh, put you on on tap here for the first topic in our amateur radio segment for tonight. So, what do we got? Absolutely, yeah. This one comes from the AWRL, and this is students wanted talk to an astronaut via amateur radio in 2024. There's an opportunity for STEM education via amateur radio that will put students in contact with astronauts. The Amateur Radio on the International Space Station, uh, also known as the ARIS program, is seeking formal and informal education institutions and organizations individually or working together to host an amateur radio contact with a crew member aboard the ISS. To maximize these radio contact opportunities, ARIS is looking for organizations that will draw large numbers of participants and integrate the contact into a well-developed education plan. The voice-only radio contacts are approximately 10 minutes long and allow students to interact with the astronauts through a question-and-answer session. Uh, The deadline to submit a proposal is November 10th, 2023. Uh, Proposal information and more details, such as expectations, proposal guidelines, and the proposal form can be found at uh, www.aris.org. And, of course, I said it already came from the AWRL because I was... Really short on finding news this morning. And uh, having done the ARIS program before, it is really uh, a, a bit of labor to get it going. There's a, there's a big uh, a set of forms you have to <laughs> have to go through. And uh, our event that we did ARIS with was, of course, uh, I'm going to mention again, sorry, the K2BSA. <laughs> Back at the uh, World Scout Jamboree. 
And actually, we did it at the National Jamboree in 2017 as well, but that didn't work out due to scheduling. Uh, but yeah, it's very complicated. And in our instance, we actually didn't know who the scouts were. And you sort of need to know who the youth are that are going to be involved in it because it's all part of the big plan with it. But uh, yeah, they'll they'll make accommodations for you if you can uh, deliver a, a, a quality program and a quality audience and the large numbers that they're looking for because yeah, yeah we need uh, they need visibility on this uh, program. And it's it's really a blast uh, to do it once it once it's executed. It's a lot of stress for those trying to execute it on the on the way to that plan. Uh, but uh, it's well worth it. So uh, if your if your group is interested in it, definitely uh, get get into the program now because this will be for the second half of uh, 2024. It looks like yeah uh, yeah this would be the uh, the application form for the last half of 2024. I think that was outside of. That was in the notes originally. <laughs> so you might edit that portion out. But this will be for context, I think, between uh, July and December of 2024. So this gives you plenty of time to prepare for your event. All right. Very good. Well, I did edit some of this stuff out because, you know, you didn't edit anything out. And <laughs> if I read the whole story, we'd have been here all night. But That was an have- important detail, though. <laughs> well, it's kind of an important detail, but that's why we have links in the show notes. So if anybody needs to know yes. those details, they can always look up the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey would say. Yeah, I was about to say, isn't that Paul Harvey? <laughs> and the rest of the story. <laughs> uh, very good. So this next one kind of irritates me. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it. But comment deadline set on proposed 60-meter band changes. A public period is open until October 30th, 2023 for radio amateurs to comment on proposed changes to the 60-meter band. There's probably radio amateurs in the United States that don't even know there is a 60-meter band, but... There is. Uh, the ARRL and members are urging the Federal Communications Commission. The No, I can't do that one. Uh, FCC. The <laughs> yeah, that would go best. Uh, to continue the existing use of the band. The ARRL is encouraging support for the current 100-watt ERP power limit instead of reducing the power limit to 15 watts EIRP and continuing secondary access to the current channels. An opportunity to reply to comments ends on November 28th. Comments should be submitted in FCC docket WT, Whiskey Tango, 23-120. The FCC also seeks comments on whether the existing channels should remain allocated to amateur radio on a secondary basis, and whether the power limitation should be expressed as EIRP, as the WRC-15 recommends, or as ERP, as in the current rules which seems silly compared to the rest of the stuff, but I don't know. I don't like the fact that 60 meters, at least for amateur radio use, is channelized. I think we should just get spectrum. And the fact that we barely have spectrum at all, the FCC is already looking to revoke it, it just seems really irritating. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like everybody's hogging up the 60-meter band. I don't even know what the primary allocation of 60 meters is. I probably should have looked that up before. Uh, That's the government. Oh, uh, well, see, there's the... There's the rub, right? <laughs> so it's their band. We're just using it. Yeah. Yeah. We're secondary, but I mean, we're, we're using five little channels on 60 meters. And I got to tell you, I really like 60 meters, especially working FT8 on 60 meters or PSK 31. It's a good band. It's like, it's, it's around longer in the day than 80 meters and it's just as quiet and there's, it's not packed up like 20 and 40 all the time. So I find it a really, really good operating band. And uh, especially, you know, sort of in the late evening uh, through to early morning, 60 meters is really good. So mm. I, sounds, I think like, we, sounds like 30 meters. 
Yeah, it's a lot like 30 meters, actually. Especially if you're only going to use digital on it. <laughs> I mean, the government, the government has their case. <laughs> well, they could just open it right up and we can have all the, you know. Yeah, I, I, I hope that uh, enough of you put in comments and that just nothing changes. I know we wanted, I, I think our, so like this is a proposals that are, yeah, from the WRC 15. So um, those are years, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eight so years. this is 2015 uh, discussions that we're now just coming into uh, fruition here. So yeah, yeah. Let's, I mean, let's hope it doesn't that. change because I know like they've talked about 60 meters again in WRC 23. I think that just occurred, or maybe it was 21. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, and I, I thought we were talking about more expanding 60 meters and like getting rid of the channel allocations. And maybe making some accommodations for that secondary use uh, case, you know, ensuring that we weren't exceeding 100 watts, even though we know people do. (laughs) (laughs) They are not rule followers, Um, especially ERP, because nobody understands ERP. And, you know, hey, on a good beam, you know, QRP limit is ERP. (laughs) You know, do the maths, people. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope uh, I hope this goes at least it doesn't if it doesn't change then I think uh, we've succeeded. Otherwise, yeah, we might be set back for future WRC rulings or W whatever. What is it called? WRC, yeah. Yeah, WRC. You tabbed and I like I have no idea where the the thing went. I was like, <laughs> "Where was the note? I can't see it because I thought it was WRC." But yeah, WRC. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, well, I, I guess I would definitely take it as a win if nothing changes for amateur radio use in the 60-meter band. So I guess we need to stand with the ARRL and make uh, comments known. Uh, they're obviously going to do whatever they can to, to fight to keep our allocation at least the same, if not expand it. And uh, I guess we'll see where that goes eventually. All right. Well, with that, we have uh, better news, I guess. Uh, so, and this actually happened at the, uh, out, out in uh, New Mexico. I, I really want to get back to, to this event. Not, not for this reason, but it's just a really cool event. So what do we got? Oh, the eclipse thing. And you did change my notes a little bit. So I'm going to read, read it as this. After eclipse, NOAA prepares for enhanced solar observations. As the annular solar eclipse drew widespread uh, widespread public attention, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration leaders gathered at the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta were considering their own solar observations. Solar activity affects satellites and terrestrial infrastructure like the power grid. We're evolving, quote, sorry, we're evolving technology at an extraordinary pace, end quote, Bill Murtaugh of uh, NOAA said, quote, we... When we introduce new systems, new technologies, new processes, we often introduce systems. Sorry, we often introduce. I went back to the same line. We often introduce new vulnerabilities to space weather that we don't fully understand. End quote. Like the loss of 40 SpaceX Starlink satellites in February 2022 after a, quote, relatively minor geometric storm, end quote. The current 11-year solar cycle is expected to peak in 2025. So let me repeat that part. The current 11-year solar cycle is expected to peak in 2025. Take note of your uh, watch, people. Uh, Regarding the current solar cycle, it could be worse. Uh, When measured by sunspots, solar activity has has been ramping up faster and stronger, that's in quotes, than expected, Murtaugh said, quote, but we haven't had any high-level storms hitting the Earth. There's been a lot of them just missing us. We've seen some great eruptions that have not been Earth-directed, end quote. 
and that was from Space News, and I know it was a little chopped up, and thank you for doing some editing. <laughs> the The part I was trying to highlight was that uh, we are not quite into the peak of our solar cycle yet, so uh, conditions are, are still good, and they're going to be good for a little while. And uh, yeah, we should be concerned about these, uh, these geomagnetic storms that are popping in here, and uh, well, you know, if they take out a few... Sp- Star, what, Starlink satellites, what, there's only like a few thousand of them in the air. So uh, that's just a tiny percentage. But, you know, conditions are going to be good. Uh, conditions may be wiped out by uh, geomagnetic, geomagnetic storms. Watch your K values and A values, uh, of course, on your solar cycle stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is a, this has been a good solar cycle. I can't complain. Yeah, and actually 10 meters was kind of really hopping, banging today. Um, since I've had my antenna up for the first time in <laughs> many months. So, <clears throat> but we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the show. So let's uh, switch gears for a minute from amateur radio topics to open source topics. And the first one we have here is understanding the Cyber Resilience Act. The Cyber Resilience Act was introduced by the European Parliament in September of 2022. Its purpose is to establish cybersecurity requirements for devices and software marketed in the EU. EU. Everybody who play, <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to be doing that. So, uh, <laughs> ew. Ew. everybody who places digital products in the ew market will be responsible for additional obligations around reporting and compliance, such as fixing discovered vulnerabilities, providing software updates, and auditing and certifying their products. The act shifts much of the security burden onto those who develop software, but are OSS developers covered by the CRA? You can follow this checklist to see if the CRA, the CRA, affects you. If you are an individual developer of OSS, you are probably excluded from the CRA requirements, even if you occasionally accept donations. But if you regularly charge or accept recurring donations from commercial entities, for example, if you do open source consulting, you'll likely be covered. For nonprofit foundations developing open source, you will likely need to comply with the CRA requirements. However, there are some potential amendments to the CRA that, if passed, might exclude certain open source projects that have a, quote, fully decentralized development model, end quote, i.e. not controlled by a single company or entity. So, distributed development, I guess. And finally, uh, for private company developers commercializing or supporting open source software, you will very likely be covered under the craw CRA. So something to look forward to. No, uh, it's not. I mean, something to look into. That's what I meant to say. Not look forward to. <laughs> Obviously no one's looking forward to more regulation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is very reminiscent of, uh, uh, what was the stupid like privacy thing that we had to uh, introduce from the EU that started was a GPR oh, the thing. The G yeah. The GPDR. Yeah, GPDR. I can't couldn't remember. I was trying to Google which acronym it was. Uh, but, I think it's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, 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 good. Something. Yeah, one of those. One of those. Good, So yeah, this could be something that we definitely need to pay attention to. Uh, I was actually when I wrote the, put the story in there. I uh, I originally read the op ed that we linked in the show notes. So the op ed isn't the uh, the piece that I put in here. I actually put the Linux Foundations piece as the source topic for this. And the exposure to individual developers could change based upon how you 
how you uh, monetize your code if you monetize at all. And, you know, there are monetization techniques within like GitHub itself, you know, the star program and support program within there. So that could actually change your status quite rapidly uh, if you gain enough traction. So you might not necessarily be an individual developer at some point. Um, Yeah, I think if you do any development at all and have any code whatsoever on GitHub, this is something you need to probably spend a little bit of time paying attention to um because of things like the gprd and, and stuff like that, that <laughs> gprd or grpd it's gdpr general GDPR. protection okay. regulation gdpr 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 yep. yeah there you go gdpr sorry uh, gdpr yeah because of things that we've had to change due to stupid regulation out in the eu or the eu <laughs> the eu uh it wouldn't be a far-fetched thing that this would come, you know, coming home to roost. So pay attention to this one if you have any code whatsoever that anybody possibly has touched or used in their application. Um, yeah, especially if you abandon it. <laughs> That's probably more critical because, you know, it takes like five minutes for a Node project to be out of date. So, uh, yeah, if you uh, have a node project up there that you haven't updated your packages source or whatever, and you have a vulnerable uh, package inside of it and you're sharing it as a package. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just be careful. Uh, this is not good for open source in general because it does expose a lot of probably unknowingly people or unknowing people to some exposure to risk and possible litigation downstream. It's not immediate, so this is the time to start paying attention to it and uh, look at you know what groups like the Linux Foundation is doing to fight against it and ensure that uh, individual developers are protected. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't take much for your project to 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 garner some interest where all of a sudden it's part of some commercial product and now like you're you're the target of oh they had a break in to their data and now they've found out that you were the vulnerable source and now you're liable for, you know, a $5 million intrusion. So go figure that one out. <laughs> yes. So keep, keep an eyeball on this as we go forward. And we also have a link to an op-ed in the, the UK's register newspaper regarding this regulation as well. So check that out. And uh, even though you uh, had a lot of commentary on that last story, I did the story, so you get to do the next story. Yeah. So this is a bookworm. Uh, always like talking about worms and books. Uh, the new version of Raspberry Pi OS. It's an odd number year, so there is a new major Debian release, and we are not, not we, but like, you know, the Raspberry Pi people are now releasing the corresponding version of Raspberry Pi OS. Debian books, uh, Bookworm itself is mostly made up of incremental ch- updates of the software that was in the previous Debian Bullseye release. There are a few small changes, but they mostly won't affect Raspberry Pi users. However, some important updates include the move to using Wayland rather than X11 as the display system. For Bookworm, we are using the compositor called Wayfire. If you boot a Raspberry Pi OS on a Pi 4 or 5, wow, 5 already, we just talked about that, uh, we'll now get you a Wayfire desktop. It should look pretty much identical to the desktop you are used to from Bullseye, 
Pulse Audio has been replaced with the newer Pipewire audio system. It manages Bluetooth audio devices better and is designed to operate better in the more secure Wayland environment where applications are isolated from each other. Network Manager is now the default network controller for Bookworm, which adds a bunch of extra functionality, including uh, to uh, including the ability to connect to hidden wireless networks, uh, to connect to VPNs, and to use a Raspberry Pi as a wireless hotspot. It also includes a lot of a lot more customization options for those who wish to fiddle with the nitty gritty of their network connection. And this came from RaspberryPi.com. All right, very good. Yeah, nothing no. bad there. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's a pretty general information thing, you know. Um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully that works good. Can't imagine it not being fine for Raspberry Pi. No, it's probably g- getting a little heavyweight now, though. That's why they're recommending or or showing you, showing them uh, using it on a four or a five. They're probably sort of uh, getting to the point where they're going to start ignoring the early generations of the Raspberry Pi. But you know, I guess the five is out now. I don't know if they're available, uh, but somebody's got them because uh, I watched some YouTube channels and I've seen reviews of them, so I know they're available someplace. Can but, you do wiggly windows? That's what that's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> if you're using a raspberry pi in that way i think you've got different problems but you know yeah, that's the one thing my daughter looks at my uh my gaming pc in the in the other room she's like huh, i want my windows to do that and i'm like well you can't run windows then <laughs> <laughs> like darn it so. yeah exactly <laughs> all right very good so new software debian 12 for the raspberry pi excellent I guess uh, Debian 13 is going to be called Trixie. Is that right? I think that's the next version. So I've been going back trying to remember who Trixie was from the Toy Story movies. And I can't remember who it was. Was was it his sister? I don't, I just, I don't remember. Trixie. (laughs) Hmm. I remember the character. So I don't either. But they're all, they're all named after characters from Toy Story. So I, you know, I don't know who Trixie was, but somebody out there knows. So. Oh, anyway, the rhinos, the rhino, uh, what do you call it? The triceratops. Oh, the triceratops. Her name was Trixie. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Now I know. (laughs) So next on the list of open source topics, we have because you can Linux on an Arduino Uno. And again, this always comes with a caveat. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Uh, There are a few, quote-unquote, will-it-run tropes when it comes to microcontrollers. One, for example, is will-it-run Doom, and uh, also will-it-run Linux. In one of the lowest-spec examples of the the latter, uh, GV1610, or is that L610? I can't tell. That's an L, yeah. GVL610 (laughs) has got an up-to-date Linux kernel to boot on a vanilla Arduino Uno. And your eyes didn't deceive you. That's a full fat kernel rather than the cut down micro C Linux for microcontrollers. Those of you who've been around a while will probably have guessed how this was done as the AT Mega 328 or at Mega 328 in the Uno has no MMU and is in, is in no way powerful enough. That's a typo for this job. Cut and paste. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's running an emulator in this case, just enough risk five to be capable. As you might imagine, it's extremely slow. And when I was reading extremely slow, I was thinking slow, but I wasn't thinking as slow as it indicates in this next sentence. <laughs> 
uh, you'll be waiting many hours for a shell on this machine. The code is written in pure AVRC. Instructions for compilation are provided. Storage comes from an SD card as the Atmega's meager 32K is nowhere near enough. If you're having a bit of deja vu here, we don't blame you. This one, But this one is reputed to be worse than the famous 2012 quote-unquote worst PC ever, which emulated ARM instead of RISC-V. Thanks, Electronics Boy, for the tip, Bill says. Who's Electronics Boy? Oh, that was in the heck of the article, sorry. Oh, that was in the article. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was your comment, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I just thought the story was funny. <laughs> it is funny. Many hours to Bouchelle, so yeah. Can't see anyone actually doing this, but I guess proof of concept has been established. And this, of course, if you hadn't already guessed where the story might have come from, it came from Hackaday. So... <laughs> I think we could. Everybody knew that before I said it. So, <laughs> well, it wasn't a sales sales call. So, you know, no, there sales calls. Yeah. Definitely not a sales pitch for something. Yeah, so everybody has to buy an Arduino now because they want to run Linux and wait an hour or two for the to to boot to get a shell. Yeah, <laughs> so they can do LS and probably wait another hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do DF. You might as well just power it off. Yeah. So let's move on to some Linux in the Hamshack topics. And uh, we have one official topic and one sort of unofficial topic. So we'll uh, we'll let Bill handle the official topic. Yeah, yeah, the official one. Uh, yeah, this is the latest Open Web RX on Raspberry Pi 4 is excellent, according to Peter Marks. Uh, Peter Marks? Who, who's Peter Marks? I don't know. I just I just saw his blog article, so I thought I would uh, enter uh, it in our notes here because I'm kind of interested in Open Web RX, and I noticed that uh, they, they're definitely uh, actively developing it. Uh, the latest release for Raspberry Pi was from uh, just a week ago. So uh, at least the build is. Uh, there's been commits that are within the last four days, so that's even better. But anyway, uh, Peter Marks writes in a recent blog post, uh, with a little travel on the agenda soon, I thought I'd run up the... Uh, Web Open WebRx on the Raspberry Pi 4 in the shack. The simplest approach is to download the pre-made SD card image and boot from that. Getting started with the Open WebRx using the Pi image is a bit mysterious. Uh, there's a setup guide, but I couldn't figure out how long how to log in. They say, quote, the default user Pi no longer exists. Please use included agent. What is the, quote, included agent, end quote? <laughs> <laughs> my Pi is headless, so I uh, to get it on Wi-Fi network here, I had to use the Raspberry Pi imager, which let me set a user and password and configure the Wi-Fi. Uh, once logged in over SSH, I created an admin user for OpenWebRx with uh, sudo OpenWebRx, admin, add user, admin, username. If I edit the varlib OpenWebRx settings.json file directly, I found that it would be overwritten unless I forced a restart of OpenWebRx with sudo system control uh, systemctl restart OpenWebRx. Anyway, all good in the end. It works very well on a Raspberry Pi 4, and it's great to have FreeDV, M17, and DMR all built right in. That's right. All those decoders are built right in. So yeah, the Open uh, WebRx version is is pretty pretty good, and, and I was interested in this particular article because I also wanted to kind of wrap up my projects with uh, my uh, all my dongles that I have here. <laughs> and put one on the dongles. Yeah, I always walk around with my dongles hanging out, and. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I wanted to try getting the ones I have on the air, and then I also want to get the K2BSA one on the air with a K2BSA URL. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very interested in this project. And uh, uh, Marksy, thanks. Uh, Marksy's Musing on Technology blog. Uh, thank you for, uh, you know, tapping me in the head on this Open WebRx thing once more. So uh, we'll be looking at it shortly. All right. Sounds really good. I do have a spare uh, Raspberry Pi here somewhere, and I I could probably, I've got a, an antenna I could hook that to and give it a shot, see how it goes. I'd like to try it myself. So oh, mine will go on a B-Link, so it'll be a beefy boy computer. Big, big bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just a micro my, mini computer, but like not mini in stats. <laughs> All right. And our, our sort of unofficial topic, which is basically just a way to roll in a sort of callback to a, what we talked about in the last episode with Ubuntu 23.10 being released. I, uh, I powered on my Shack PC today because I wanted to get it back up and running since my antenna is finally off the ground and back in the air. And uh, discovered that there was some sort of thing that happened where it couldn't establish user sessions anymore. And so I was not able to log in. And rather than try and troubleshoot it, I figured I would just go ahead and back it up and reinstall the whole thing using Ubuntu 23.10 since it was released just a couple of days ago. So I started the whole process, got the USB stick. I didn't didn't bother with the Ventoy thing uh, on this particular instance because that's outside with a different computer. But I just downloaded... Well, I went to download Ubuntu 23.10 and found that I couldn't. And oh. I was like, huh, that's weird. I thought they just released it. Well, it turns out they did. And then they had to quickly unrelease it uh, because some bad actor somewhere who's a community participant, community developer, or community uh, maintainer for a part of the Ubuntu code slipped some malicious and racist, I gather, um, anti-Ukrainian rhetoric into the internationalization files in Ubuntu that got rolled into the distribution and released. And I guess Ubuntu or Canonical found out about it quickly and uh, pulled it down, and I guess they're working on it. There's supposed to be a new daily build that fixes the problem released uh, as of this recording, and they said that within a few days uh, they'll be re-releasing it and there'll be a new version of 23.10 to to go with so so i had to go with our our lowly old linux in the hamshack distribution 2204 ubuntu lhs so i went with that i did upgrade it to 2304 and all that is working good i just have to do i have to reinstall the software and get the um you know all the config files reestablished. but i should be up and running in the next day or so so all that is good the only thing that is still kicking my butt on this thing is trying to figure out how to get Barrier to start before the login screen. If you if you Google for this, there are 20,000 different ways to accomplish this task, and not one of them actually works. So, <laughs> so if anybody has a line on how to, on an Ubuntu 23.04 system, get Barrier as a client, by the way, because uh, it's using remote... Uh, keyboard and stuff on a different machine than I have. So I have to start it up as a client and I would really love it to start up pre login so that I have access to the KVM before I need to log in. So I can use the remote computers, keyboard and mouse and everything and not have to keep my keyboard handy just to log in, then use barrier. Cause that's real mm-hmm. pain in the ass. 
So, yeah. like I said, if you Google for this, you'll find a hundred thousand answers. And like I said, haven't found one that works yet. Probably the same ones that work for Bluetooth keyboards and mice. <laughs> I've had the same experiences. Like occasionally, the system boots up and it does not want to launch Bluetooth ahead of the login screen and attach to the devices that are well were attached in user space. I have never found something that fixes that. So I've always had a plugged in keyboard. <laughs> That's sort See of a hot, hot spare <laughs> kind of yeah. slid, slid in the desk somewhere. <laughs> it's like, oh, let me pull that out and log in. Okay, now I can talk to my uh, wireless devices. It's like, oh, what a pain in the butt. Yeah, I, I used to have it working on some system somewhere along the line. I don't remember what version of Linux I was running at that time, but it can be done. Mm. I just need to figure out how. Yeah. Yeah. And other people claim they've they figured out how but they've not been able to communicate that successfully to me. So if anybody has any insight, please send it my way. But otherwise, the system works great. Um, I'm actually running on a, a really old, at this point, uh, Intel-based Mac. I think it's um, I think it's an early 2011 um, Intel Mac. Yeah, probably 2010, so, right? Uh, or 2010. Yeah, something yeah. like that. But, I think mine's the mid-2011 or something like that, and I think that was the only ones they released in 2011. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's somewhere in that vintage for sure. But it's still a perfectly good uh, machine for my shack. So I uh, just got to get this one little bugaboo taken care of. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be using the thing whether I get this barrier problem fixed or not. But it's just it would be nice to get it taken care of. Yeah, I definitely have a use case for a barrier here as well. But I'm just I have not I've not done it <laughs> just because I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> oh, and you still have to deal with the fact that it only runs on X. And uh, remembering oh. that. Later versions of Ubuntu uh, start default to Wayland. You have to uh, you have to log in with the X server, not Wayland, in order to get it to work at all. And then, well, isn't twenty three ten Wayland? Yes, but you can. They still have X. Oh, okay. You just have to switch. But yeah, I was about to say because I, I thought oh, they were going towards. I don't Wayland. know about twenty three ten. Twenty three oh four still has X. No, I thought twenty three ten was heading towards Wayland because they're converting twenty four oh four to Wayland. Well, then Barrier needs to get their crap together so they can uh <laughs> run on wayland yeah okay well that's all i really had to say about that we got our little thing in about 2310 and, and all that good stuff so all right well that brings us down to the end of our topics for for this episode but we do have one announcement unless bill has one that he wants to hit before i get to this one i'm good okay <laughs> so it turns out that bill is going to be out of town next week because he was planning on going to uh, Washington State to go to the Northwest Linux Fest, which isn't happening, but he's still going to Washington. <laughs> so he's going to be out of pocket. And then I will be out of pocket the next two weekends after that, because the first weekend I'll be going to Pittsburgh. And then the weekend after that, I'll be up in New Hampshire again. So that means we will not be recording for the next three weeks. And our next recording after this one will be on the 12th of November. So just wanted to make sure everybody was aware of that. And not like uh, hanging around waiting for us to record for the next three weeks because we will not. Apologies for the fact that we've got stuff that happens on weekends and won't be around. But I assure you we'll have a good solid month of content after that before we take our winter break. Can't believe we're getting to winter break time already. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's crazy. That is still a month and a half away. All right. That's, that's all I've got. I didn't see any feedback. We do have some new subscribers, supporters, and live participants. So, uh... All right, Bill, you might as well go ahead and hit this this time. So we have no new subscribers or Patreons, 
but we appreciate all the ones we do have. Thank you very much for your donations. Uh, Facebook, we have 17 new followers that are unnamed because of the weirdness of Facebook and how they handle their new followers. At some point, we'll figure out the new system. But for now, thank you, the 17 new followers. On Twitter or X, uh, we have uh, Dr. Swan 59 and at Stan KB5SR. On Instagram, we have Papa Yankee One Zulu Bravo. On Mastodon, we have Mash 369, uh, Mike Mike Zero Papa Whiskey X Ray, uh, Hawaii uh, DB7 Bravo November, Womble, and Victor Echo 3 Quebec Bravo Zulu. On YouTube, we have uh, quite a few new subscribers. Gallen Didier, uh, Abby Synth, Greeklish21, Some Ginger, Paul Culbertson, and John Best. On the mailing list, we've added Jason, WV3V. On Discord, we have 26TD29 and Radnor. On live chat, because we are recording at a very, very weird time. Uh, we actually have one more to add there, but uh, we have Darren, VK6EK, uh, Ted, WA0EIR, and Steve, KA7HVT. Yeah, well, that does it for this episode. And, uh, you know, I hate to say it that this is going to be the last episode for a little while, but unfortunately, there's really no way around it. I'm not going to have any way to record from Pittsburgh or from New Hampshire. And I'm sure Bill really doesn't want to record when he's, uh, you know, spending time with the wife out in Washington. So, uh, yeah, actually, we'll, we'll probably be in the airport at that for the Sunday night. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> well, would yeah, not be know. very conducive. <laughs> exactly. So, and I'll be on the um, on the fifth that weekend. I'll actually be driving back this way, and uh, the other one I'll actually be in conference because the conference is actually on Sunday. Well, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So, yeah, so it's just never really going to work out. So, apologies that uh, we're going to have this sort of unexpected time off, but uh, we hope you'll come back on the twelfth, and uh, we'll have new episodes then. And uh, in the meantime, we hope you have a great three weeks. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks to everybody who listens and to those who support the show. We appreciate each and every one of you. And with that, I guess we will go ahead and wrap this one up and let you go on about the business of your day. This has been episode number 520 of Linux in the Hamshack. And for the on assignment, Cheryl W5MOO, I'm Russ, K5TUX. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.